Welcome to the Jay and Pal Podcast Experience. Listening to the Che and Pav Show, Teachers Talking Teaching, where two middle school teachers share our reflections, insights about the topics that matter the most in the classroom. So, hey, Pav, join us in the hallway or even the parking lot, or better yet, how about the staff room? Welcome to episode 121 of the Chain Path Show. Thank you for joining us as we sit around the table to talk teaching. Today, we are thrilled to have Dr. Goldie Muhammad on the show, author of Cultivating Genius and the newly released book, Unearthing Joy. Currently an associate professor of literacy, language, and culture at the University of Illinois at Chicago, Dr. Goldie Muhammad is a leader who strives to shape the national conversation for educating youth that have been underserved. Her career also includes having served as a school district curriculum director responsible for K-12 literacy instruction, assessments, and professional development, and as a reading, language arts, and social studies middle school teacher. We are so excited to share this dynamic conversation with you all. But before we dive in, we shall introduce ourselves. My name is Pav Wander, and I'm half of this dynamic duo. My co-host is here with me, and he'll introduce himself. And this half has, oh, 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 the right stuff. And Pav, it's assumed you have the right stuff. Oh, that was really great. This is why I don't need to uh, <laughs> identify it for you. Perfect. I, I love new kids, new kids on the block. I was uh, <laughs> trying to decide if I was going to say NKOTB <laughs> or new kids on the block. And, and trying to decide that. whether you were going to sing along or not. Yes. Well, I always want to sing along. Half the time, I don't know what the words are to the things you sing. <laughs> <laughs> That's assumed. Yes. <laughs> uh, Pat, we have a great conversation that we can't wait to share with our audience today. Uh, and we'll get into it in a few moments. But of course, it's always been a busy week and we've been up to lots of things. And uh, I think we've had some fun sort of discovering a new space to share some of our insights uh, mm. this week in our new Medium account. That's right. So anyone's been on Medium a while, I was probably thinking, yeah, big whoopty. Big it's been around for a while. <laughs> and I know we've seen it around. That's right. But we've never made we any just, entries. We just walk by kind of giving it a glare. Like, what is this? <laughs> What's this new kid on the block? <laughs> I don't got time for this. Yeah, exactly. Except we made some time for it. <laughs> we did because that's what we do. We always come around. We kind of scope 
walk around a little bit and then, then we dive in. Uh, but yes, we've got a couple of blog posts on there and a few that are uh, going to be coming out soon. Uh, so that's a lot of fun, a uh, new space to, to play with a little bit. I think sort of this, uh, this new influx of AI technology, specifically G- chat GPT, which I know we talked about on our last episode, has, has just accelerated a need to learn really quickly. And mm-hmm. I think, uh, I know we have an episode planned for it, but until that episode plan, that, that blogger space became a space for us to sort of highlight and share some of our ideas to build into an episode. So mm-hmm. I think the, the world of education is always changing, but it's certainly seemingly rapidly changing the last few weeks. But let's not talk too much about this content. Let's talk a little bit about Goldie Mohammed. Mm-hmm. What a phenomenal interview that was. And we're so excited to share it with you. Uh, it was definitely one that I got lost in while we were while we were speaking. And, and Dr. Muhammad is just such a humble and pleasant person to speak to. Um, you know, she's had so much success with her, her first book, Culting, Cultivating Genius. And, uh, and, and now she's released her second book, Unearthing Joy. And it's just so phenomenal to be able to speak to her primarily because we've been so engaged in her first book as teachers for a few years now. And, and it really is like meeting a celebrity, but the most humble and easy and easygoing and down to earth celebrity that we've really ever encountered. And so it was just a pleasure to speak to her and sort of dive into her brain a little bit and ask some questions that, uh, that we have been pondering uh, after reading her book and just wanting to know where some of those inspirations come from. So a uh, phenomenal, phenomenal conversation. Really excited to share it. Uh, I know um, Unearthing Joy is the new book that we're highlighting. Mm-hmm. And in the recording, you know, this is the day that it'll come up in the recording. I'm giving you a little few nuggets to listen for is that Pav was insistent or hopeful that her, her copy was going to get in the mail that day. Yeah. It's still not here. I know. I don't know what's going on. Scholastic Canada. Like <laughs> it was supposed to be released January 16th. It's been a week. I haven't, I haven't received it yet. So what's the deal? <laughs> <laughs> I know how eager you were, as I shared in the interviews. Yeah. That you, when, when you start to text it without complete sentences about something, I yeah. know it's serious. Yeah. Like for sentence fragments. Yeah. Like, where is it? Where is my unearthing joy? I don't That's what they sounded like. see the mailman. <laughs> it's like text, the texting version of Captain Kirk. That's right. Pauses in all the oddest spaces. Yeah. We were really looking forward to having it in our hands before the interview, but uh, she was very, um, she was happy to share her copy with us. So she, she brought it on to the, uh, the episode with us and, and, and shared some of the, the cool parts of it, which mm. you will get to see and hear about in uh, the episode. You're right. There are all kinds of really neat components to this this creative creation. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we're looking forward to you listening and, and hearing some of those things. And if you haven't already decided to grab the book, it'll convince you. That it's the extra little push to get the book. Pat, before we dive into the interview, I think I'll give a little anecdote. Mm-hmm. And so Goldie Mohammed is well-established, doing incredible work, doing... Uh, fantastic work and as podcasters who wouldn't want to talk to Goldie Muhammad yeah 
and we know we've reached out a few times and never upset that she didn't say yes, but we always knew it would be it would be tough to get Goldie Muhammad on. She is busy. She's doing great works. We know she has to manage her time to be able to, you know, as, as we learn in this interview, that, that that rest part is part of that resilience, part of that joy. And so we sort of, I, I, I don't want to say we had given up. We'd asked a few times, asked a few times, always polite interactions and uh, had never and never managed to get a yes. But then you reached out on your own one day without us sort of talking about it. Let's give it one more try. Let's send out a message. You reached out and you just went back and said, oh, Goldie Muhammad's coming on our show. And I'm like, what? <laughs> yeah, that was really cool. I mean, I was like, oh, she's got a new book out. Maybe she wants to promote it. Maybe I'll give this another shot. Uh, and, and she had never said no before. No. Uh, it was always, yes, let's try and make some time. And then just, you know, her timeline was just really busy. Uh, and then, you know, we weren't able to accommodate. And so it just wasn't aligning. And, and so I, I shot out this email uh, just randomly really quickly. And we got a response and it's in the calendar and uh, didn't tell anyone until after it was recorded, just in case it never happened at all. <laughs> so uh, so I'm very, very happy to share that it did happen. And we've got the interview coming right up. Are we ready to get into it? Yeah, I think so. I think we should just dive in. All right. Enjoy this wonderful episode with Dr. Goldie Mohammed on the Che and Pav Show. You're listening to The Chain Pav Show. All right, everyone, welcome to The Chain Pav Show. And as Pav and I were just talking in our big monologue, we have Dr. Goldie Mohammed here with us today to talk all things teaching, all things uh, social justice, all things identity. And if it's not all things, then it's just about everything. Um, Goldie, thank you so much for joining our show. We really feel truly gifted uh, this moment, this hour to, to conversate with you about teaching because teachers love to talk teaching because we know we're going to absorb so much. So thank you for Pav and I personally, but I know our audience would like to thank you for joining the Chain Pav space. Um, before we start, or as we started, you know, let the audience know who you are, although they already know who you are, but you know, just introduce yourself, sort of in a quick gist, your your journey in education. But then if I could talk a little bit about some of the motivations, as, as, as we know, Cultivating Genius is, I would almost say, a transformational book uh, for any teacher when they're teaching. I know I speak with 21 years experience that sometimes maybe you get a little static or you get a little stoic, but going through Cultivating Genius revamped the way I was teaching. It gave me a framework. It gave me a new lens. And it, it, I would almost argue was part of maybe my later invigoration as a teacher. And I would probably articulate that my year 17, 18, 19, 20 were better than year 9, 10, 11. And, I, and if I had to uh, share with someone some of the texts that have allowed me to reinvigorate my teaching, Cultivating Genius is one. So if yeah. you could share along with your intro, you know, what was one of the motivations behind that? But of course, you have a new project out, a new book out, Unearthing Joy. And I would love to yeah. manifest. Sorry, this is a long question. This is how middle school teachers operate. That's okay. Um, I'm with you. <laughs> from, from Cultivating Genius, what did you see? What was impacting that sort of manifested, inspired, gave you that insight that I, I needed to go a little bit further? I needed to extend. I needed to expand. So, again, I will summarize my question. Who are you? journey into education. Tell us a little bit about uh, the inspiration behind Cultivating Genius and then what has led to this new project, this new uh, manifestation? Yeah. 
No, thank you. And it is such a joy and an honor. I love following you all and the work that you all do um, in schools and within education and middle school teachers, particularly. Um, well, my name is Golnissar Muhammad, but my people, my friends call me Goldie. And um, Golnissar, my name means to share beautiful flowers. It comes from Persian roots of the earth. And I like to think that my work since I became a teacher to where I am today has always been to share something beautiful with the world, with my students, um, with teachers, with leaders. And, you know, I have served as a middle school teacher. I always make the joke that I taught grade six and eight because they told me to skip grade seven. They said something happened <laughs> and I never found out what. And every time I say that teachers just laugh like, yeah, <laughs> And I still don't know exactly what it is, but um, I, you know, I taught literacy and social studies at ELA. Um, I also served uh, moving along in my career as a literacy coach and specialist and a school district administrator for curriculum and instruction, particularly when it comes to literacy interventions and literacy programs. And I've always spent a lot of time since I was a classroom teacher doing PD. I would create PDs. <laughs> I would read something and create like a workshop or a space for teachers. And I would create flyers and pass them out after school, like come to my PD. And, um, you know, so I've always had this um, joy and spark to not only teach children, but also to teach adults and who are educators too. And, you know, when I, when I formally left the full-time school district, um, I studied for a PhD in literacy, language, and culture. And at the University of Illinois, Chicago, where I studied, I took a course that um, pushed us to study Black literacies from a historical perspective. That was taught by my then advisor, Alfred Tatum. And it was in this course where I started to, I learned and started to become aware about this beautiful part of history of Black literary societies. And I was interested in literacy and collaboration and what happens when we come together to read, write, think, and change the world. And I was like, wow, they were doing this in the 1800s. And it was in that class where I started writing extensively on the history and which will eventually become the framework for cultivating genius from this class. It will eventually become infused in the introduction to the book, my paper from the class. So I'm very grateful for that time and space because I started to think about, okay, study this part of history. Then I branched to other parts of history, like Black libraries, Black newspaper, Black schools. And I found that across all these different spaces throughout history and time, that Black folks really define literacy and practice literacy for uh, to make sense of their lives through identity. They, they define literacy as a set of skills, right? They define literacy as a means to develop intellectualism, and they, develop, they, they practice and develop literacy for criticality, for justice, for abolition. And that became the model. And throughout my work, I used this model throughout my dissertation, my, my profession, my classroom teaching when I became a professor, when I was a school board president, I used the model to say, this is how we can think about education for this school, right? 
uh, this model sort of became not only how I taught children, as I continue to teach children, I continue to teach children every year. I used this model to develop lesson plans. And then it, it was like the model of my life. <laughs> I practiced these, you know, four things all together. And um, so the inspiration for cultivating genius came from the ancestors, their beauty. You know, I would I would read something they had written in the 19th century and I would write a poem to them. It was a beautiful uh, experience back and forth, the ancestors and I, <laughs> as I'm reading this, his, these historical artifacts, and I would be, begin to like talk back to them, write to them, tell them I love them, tell them thank you. So they are the inspiration to everything. And of course, the children today. So it was like this blend of like ancestors and children. And um, shortly after the book was published, it really took off really well. And you know, I started going back and then COVID hit a pandemic and we were all in, right? Inside. And it was a lot happening in, in the world, in the United States, in the state of education. We had racial uprisings. We had teachers not being valued and not folks not seeing everything that they do. It was like, it was a pandemic. So we experienced loss, right? All these things were happening. And all I kept feeling and hearing was joy. We need joy. We need joy. We need to reclaim joy. We need happiness. And many of us are still doing this now as we're kind of some years out from the inception of the pandemic, but we, we are still struggling with our joy a bit. So I went back to the research and I said, well, what did the ancestors, because I write about joy and cultivating genius, but I don't add it as a fifth pursuit. I just kind of assume we all were showing up with joy, having joy, thinking about joy. <laughs> I made that assumption. But then I went back to my data, which was the historical artifacts. And I said, let me see what they said about joy. And it became like a fifth pursuit. It became the ultimate goal for education for me, for, for my work. And it really developed into this new book of Unearthing Joy which is a book that adds that fifth layer into our teaching and learning, but with this, with joy being very prominent in the new book as being like, this is why we show up. This is why we do the work that we do, not just for the joy of our children and our communities, but the joy of ourselves because teachers deserve joy, right? And leaders deserve joy. So it, it sort of all started to come together Um from the, the work I've done uh, from being a teacher to um, now being a professor, um, training teachers in teacher education, particularly in curriculum and instruction. So Amazing. Amazing. Thank you for sharing all of that information. That's beautiful. That's perfect. Thank you. Um, you know, we've, we've, we've kind of heard these stories that you've shared about the inception of cultivating genius. Um, and we've always, because maybe it's because we've always heard joy being paired with the, the four pursuits. Yeah. Um, we always just assumed, uh, that joy was a part yeah. of it. And so when I received the book for the very first time, I was like, Oh, joy is not in in here, but we always hear joy being paired with cultivating genius. So it's really lovely to hear that history and the story behind that. And, and now that culmination with unearthing joy that, that has released, uh, from when we are recording, um, it was released today. And so it's, it's such a wonderful thing to be able to 
to talk to you uh, at the same time as the book being released. Um, mm -hmm. And before I go into the next question, which sort of takes a lot of the information that you have shared already, um, mm -hmm. I wanted to thank you for telling us a little bit about your name and uh, the meaning behind your name and such a beautiful main meaning to share beautiful flowers um, mm -hmm. because that is essentially, that is what you are doing with the world uh, today. And, um, and, and I have a big connection to, to people sharing what their names are, their meanings of their names. And, and a lot of the identity work that I have done with my students in the past and mm -hmm. continue to share with teachers today is to talk about our names. Um, because my name journey has been, um, you know, at times a difficult one and, and sort of owning that piece of my identity has been, um, very meaningful to me as, as a part of my journey. And so I love to hear when people talk about their names and their full names and owning their name and sharing their name with people. So just on a personal note, I just wanted to thank you for, for, uh, sharing your name with us today. Um, you, you spoke about so many incredible things, you know, speaking to the ancestors and having conversations with ancestors. I know that that's something that we're going to come to in, in the next question. Uh, but before we get to that piece, I would love to hear a little bit about the pursuits and cultivating genius. So we, we talk about identity, skills, intellect, criticality, and now joy. And, uh, you know, for listeners that maybe are not um, as aware of cultivating genius and the, the equity framework. Um, mm -hmm. Please tell us a little bit about uh, the, the five pursuits and, uh, and, and what they mean and what they look like and, and sort of where that has come from, from your learning about, about historical literary societies, black literary societies. Yeah. So, um, you know, I I really went into the archives and just just read. I didn't start off with a framework in mind or I'm going to I'm looking for a culturally responsive model. I just said, what did the ancestor do? What did the ancestors do? How did they educate themselves? What were some of the goals for their learning? Um, what were some of their standards for learning? And I noticed very early on that every time they talked about learning goals, they named it as a pursuit. I said, you know, I remember talking with my editor and I'm like, ah, is, is a pursuit too much of a new word for folks, even though it's old, right? Because the yeah. answer was yeah. used. But, you know, we're used to standards language. And she says, no, you have to use the word pursuit. It's something different here. I said, yeah, you're right. So they had, I, I discovered, right, uh, that they had these, these, these five major pursuits for learning. So as they were engaging in reading, writing, and thinking, and listening, and speaking, it does not, all of these literacies, it does not matter if it was math, science, social studies, or history, or language, whatever they were studying, they were, one, had a goal of becoming closer to self learning who they are and learning about the lives of diverse people. I would read that they would study from all sorts of cultures. They didn't just learn about themselves as black folks, but of other cultures as well. So that's where identity became very prominent. The second is skills. People um, think about skills as standards, as proficiencies. I would read things that they had goals of cultivating or learning, 
that I see in the standards, common core state standards here. And I'm like, that sounds just like this. So these are the proficiencies that they wanted to, to, to master, to learn um, throughout the years. Intellectualism, I just noticed that they, they had like this excitement to learn new knowledge. Like it wasn't just about, let me read this and learn this to pass a test or to move to the next level. It was like, let me just read this to learn something new. So it, it was an intellectual space and it wasn't just knowledge, but they did something with the knowledge. That's that's how I differentiate in, intellect and knowledge. You do something with it. It was this actionable knowledge that I'm going to use it to each one teach one. I'm going to use it to debate. I'm going to use it to eloquently give a speech to the world, you know, like it was this actionable thing. The fourth, um, and I read one artifact that I include in the newest book where they said, you know, what's, what's the, how should we do schools basically? And they said, look, education is abolition. Abolition is education. That was the exact quote from the 19th century from the ancestors. You did not have education without abolition. That's what criticality is and does. Criticality is social justice, equity, anti-oppressive teaching and learning. And then joy, joy in writing this book. Listen, y'all think y'all like cultivating genius. I don't know if you're supposed to say that. You know, you're not supposed to say it about your students or your kids. Right. (laughs) I just love this book. And I I went in and say, okay, how did the ancestors define joy? Because, you know, when a lot of people define joy, they think of it as like celebration, having fun. Joy is some for early elementary, the younger kids, kindergarten, mm-hmm. you know, middle school. We do more serious work in middle school than high school. But see, for the ancestors, there was this relationship of criticality and joy. You did not have joy if you didn't have justice, right? Mm. And it was like you're fighting for justice so you can have joy, <laughs> If anybody is hurt and oppressed on a daily basis, how can joy come? So it's only through joy can only be experienced when there is this uh, action, this learning, this disruption of hurt, pain and harm. So I saw this beautiful relation. They define joy as healing, as wellness, as uh, aesthetics, as beauty in the self and in the world, in humanity. Um, It was the flowers, it was the birds, it was the sky, but it was also anti-oppression and the justice and the solutions to the problems. It was healing. It was like the benefits, like determining what are the benefits to something. So in Unearthing Joy, I talk about all these expansive ways of, of the ancestors defining joy. So when we look at it this way, we say to ourselves, do we use, do we need joy as adults? Well, of course we do. And of course children do. And when I ask teachers, which pursuit like stays with you, do you remember? They're like joy, <laughs> joy. Yeah. So it's something as, it's something definitive, like purposeful, authentic about joy as a pursuit of education for schools. Like what happens if we reclaim that joy again and make learning about and about having fun and celebrating, <laughs> right? And and the sustained happiness, because I got to tell you all, and you all know this, we can cultivate a child that's very skillful and very knowledgeable, and they still struggle in this world. But if you help to cultivate, develop, and build a child 
who has skills and knowledge, but also has self, has consciousness and joy, mm-hmm. there's no stopping of who they will become in this world. That's right. That's the goal. That's a, that's a powerful response. I'm annotating my question sheet here extensively here because there's so many wisdoms being dropped uh, mm-hmm. and I'll just go with two and perhaps I'll work into the question path and you just give me a shoulder shrug if I never quite get into the question. But I loved, uh, Goldie, how you you expanded or challenged us to expand a, a possibly oversimplification of what joy is. And joy isn't merely about, you know, giving a student a candy it's you there, we we get joy in doing impactful social justice oriented work that as we work through the struggle and maybe as we collectively come together that we see joy in this collective power we can build and see movements and so as you were talking i i almost had an aha moment that i need to uh, interrogate what i was would consider joy to expand that definition and, and to have that part of that criticality as part of joy, that joy isn't necessarily maybe the simplified things we may reach to right away. So I love that component. And leading into the question, as you were both speaking about names, I, I was I was listening and I'm, I was absorbing. And I know for me, when I think of our content, I've always told Pav, my favorite episode is actually the solo episode that Pav recorded herself about her mm. name. Because mm. I, despite knowing her so well, I mm. still to just sit and listen to her talk for 10 or 15 minutes, open my eyes to things that I didn't see and I didn't know. And it, and it just, as you were both speaking, it reminded me of the power of listening and mm. observing. And I started to think of, of a little bit of my own teaching because you, you were speaking, Goldie, about reaching and, and talking with my ancestors, the ancestors, and, and understanding the ways things were taught. And I thought of my early teaching, and I think of how I've progressed. And I would have argued that as I became more social justice oriented, I was still doing it, the work, through a very colonial framework. And so mm-hmm. we would speak, and, and Pav and I speak in a, an almost entirely racialized community. And as a white male, it took me a while to understand those those nuanced biases that no matter how I was teaching, I was reaching to my comfort level, the way I was taught, the way my family had been taught. And I was yeah. reaching to colonial norms to teach. And as you spoke, it reminded me of the power of learning how different cultures and ethnicities, how they teach. And then, cause you want to, you don't want to appropriate it, but you need to be aware and you need to call in community members that can advocate that it's not always the content. It's how we dive into the content, how we're teaching. And I, I think of my growth as a teacher, I think back of me seven or eight years ago and how I was thinking I was doing great work, but really maybe I was inducing more harm by sticking everything through a certain framework. And I think for our audience and ourselves and myself, it's the reframing again, the, the cultivating genius framework, embedding the joy, but just listen to you talk about the, the criticality of, of, your black historical societies, how they were teaching and how you realized that it was important for you to that self-discovery to, to sort of guide you and how we wanted to reach. And so I'll dive now to the very specific questions that I had a couple of, you know, anecdotes is in Cultivating Genius, you speak about the 10 lessons you learn from black literary societies. And we found this to be such an important conversation to have with students and even among teachers about the function and true purpose of education. Can you talk a little bit more about why it's so important for us to know and understand this historical literacy instruction? Mm-hmm. 
you know, because since the beginning of time in so many spaces in the United States, uh, where I was educated and brought up into different levels of schooling, it has always been Eurocentric focus, colonial lenses, as you said. We have never taken the teachings, the strivings, the guide and the roadmap from Black folks, from African cultures, from Blackness or African-American cultures to say, let's, let's think about one group of people who have been through chattel slavery, who have survived it, thrived it, innovated stuff that we use every single day. Like there's something to learn from this group of people who has, who have been loving and forgiving and inviting who speak multiple languages. And, you know, it's something unique about Blackness. Like if you are mixed, as they say, <laughs> you have Blacky Black, right? Especially in this country, in the United States. So it's like, folks, there's something going on with the diversity of Blackness and, you know, the experiences that we have in terms of marginalization especially if you are part of multiple categories. I'm Black, I'm woman, I'm Muslim, right? Mm -hmm. There are different ways that I experience the world. You can, learn, you can learn a lot about people who have been marginalized and oppressed. That's who you should listen to. <laughs> and so that's where the, all of that, uh, we can learn from lessons. We, we never have learned from Black history to, to say, let's learn from this history to shape our schools, to write our textbooks, right? To shape our models, our frameworks. We just haven't done that. And so these 10 lessons, I, I like, I wanted this book, I wanted both books to be a quick read. I don't know if they were quick in reading for you all, but I wanted it to be quick in reading, but profound in thought and history, to make you think, to make you sit and rest on the language and think through some stuff. I did not, I wanted it to be very clear. If a teacher is picking this up, yep, these are 10 lessons. Boom, 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 boom. For me to sit and think about, but for me to gather them. And so I studied Black literary societies and I say, well, they did this. This is a great lesson that they, they that we can use. They study diverse literature. We can study diverse literature. They studied the aesthetics and the beauty and the joy in the world. We should be doing that in class and we should make it a part of our evaluation, our teaching, you know, all these things. So that's really what that part of the book speaks of is, is really pulling out of all the beautiful and wonderful things of literary societies. And you have the model, right? But I also wanted to say these are 10 lessons specifically that you can learn from history to reshape, reframe, or think about your own pedagogy today. And, you know, with that plus the framework, it, it, it became what I call culturally and historically responsive education, because I, I felt like teachers needed something to put in their hands and say, practically, this is what, how I can embed culturally responsiveness, because it was, it was, for many teachers, it was like a theoretical space instead of like, a practical tool, like in a lesson plan that they can pick up and use. So that was also um, a goal of the work. For me personally, um, I, I found it to be very profound to read about uh, the Black Literary Societies because it was 
prior to reading your book, uh, Cultivating Genius, sorry, Shay, can I just show it? Because I, I realize I haven't. I'm not going to show the inside because there are, there are too many uh, notes inside there. Uh, it's heavily annotated. It's heavily annotated. And, and to answer your question, uh, yes, it, it is, um, I would say, an easy-to-navigate read. Um, I wouldn't say that it's a simple read or it's a fast read because I've gone back and forth through it several times. Um, but uh, but it is an easy to read, um, easy to navigate book, and and it's easy to to find my place and find what I'm looking for and go back to it. And uh, reading about the ten literary societies, uh, the lessons, ten lessons that you learned from the ten, uh, the literary societies, for me that was all very new information, and it was something that I was very keen on taking to students and having them see, you know, we talk about this, this Eurocentric um, way that we are learning this colonial education that we have, but what does that really mean? Because that's all we have known as students and as teachers. Um, myself being born and raised in Canada, I know that there is a different education system in India, but I didn't go through it. I don't have the experience with it. And even my parents have gone through a colonized education system in India. And so what does it look like when, when I bring that information for students to learn about, you know, and say, this is what it was like. And then, then we get questions like, well, why is this the first time we're hearing about this? Yeah, yeah. And for for many of us, even as teachers, why is this the first time we're hearing about this? And and that really is that aha moment of yeah. there's so much that we haven't been taught, and there's yeah. so much that we are not aware of, and. Mm -hmm. You know, we've seen some of your presentations where you share photographs of these literary societies and they're wearing suits and they're they're dressed in ways that that haven't been portrayed in the past to us. And, and so we're thinking, well, this was the 1800s, but that's not the narrative that we were given. Mm -hmm. And that's not what we have been told. And so why not? And that, that is part of that criticality that I feel like, you know, when, when those questions come from students, mm -hmm. that's criticality. People don't want students to even ask the why not. They just, criticality, as you're saying, it doesn't make you a passive learner, right? You yeah. question. Mm -hmm. That's right. And, and, you know, when teachers, uh, when students have the teachers that are willing to do that learning with them and, and say, you know, that's a great question. I wish I had the answer to that. Let's find out why. Um, and that's when we do that learning together. And it's such an important piece, right? And so uh, that, was, that was very meaningful to me. So thank you for sharing, uh, you know, what that meant to you as well. And that's my own connection to that. Um, and, and it takes me to sort of the lesson portion of this, you know, when we're, when we're bringing this work to the students themselves and, and what does that look like? Um, Che and I, as, as we talked before we, we started recording, Che and I have moved into roles where we now are centrally assigned teachers. And, um, although we have engaged with cultivating genius and the framework before we moved into our central positions, um, 
we now have the privilege and the honor of being able to share this learning with teachers to build capacity. And in our past few years, not only have we used the framework ourselves in our own spaces, but we've come across so many teachers that have shared what they have built. And we've seen things on Twitter and we've seen things on social media that teachers are sharing their brilliance um, with using the framework. And, and we know that you must be seeing this brilliance as well. I and, do. Uh, so the question that we had was, what are some of the lessons, uh, some of the ways that the the framework has been used that have left you feeling in awe? Like, wow, this is this is this is the work in action. You yeah. Know? Tell us a little bit about that. Oh my gosh! Every day I, I have that feeling because every day a teacher sends me a lesson or a unit <laughs> idea. And uh, or every day I see a different manifestation or use of it. Um, some examples, you know, I started very early. So, you know, I've been using this model for like 13 years, right? 13 or 14 years, um, even though the work, the books are newer. So I've been seeing uses for a long time in STEM, in mathematics, in places like chemistry. You know, there was a chemistry teacher in Brooklyn who was teaching about the chemical elements of um, the cure for malaria and uh, taught about uh, African cultures for identity and skills were the chemical elements. Um, intellect was like the history of African countries being colonized once these colonizers had a cure because they were coming in trying to take over, but they were dying. <laughs> and, you know, this history was the intellectual goal and the criticality was like all of this oppression and how do we use even medicine for good use, right? And then uh, the joy was like the advocacy and knowing, I mean, it was like all these different things. So even in spaces where they said CRE cannot live in algebra, I saw a unit on reparations. Um, I've seen it in maker ed spaces and in adult education uh, in, of course, higher education. Um a teacher, which I include in the new book, did a whole play curriculum for pre-K on the model. Um, I've seen um, uh, strong educators out of Canada. They would, um, PE teachers, they they studied like the history of the Olympics and students had to uh, create a game that was uh, full of cooperation. They had to have rules, all these things. But they looked at like the ethics of sports and racism mm -hmm. and sexism in sports and how it's portrayed for criticality, right? And I've worked with doctors on using my model of thinking about patient care and how we see ourselves in these spaces, like when we go into the the doctor's office and how we take up these literacies, these five pursuits, right? As we are receiving care. So it's like all these different things that I, I, I have seen. I've just seen beautiful things and project-based learning and um, like projects to help create activism and social change in communities I have seen. So again and again, Every day I see new and exciting ways of using the model across grade levels, across contents. And I'm just in awe. I'm not surprised because I know our teachers are genius. I know who they are. Mm -hmm. 
But I'm in awe of just like the beauty of creation. It's like artwork to me, like observing art. And I'm so thankful that when they teach it, our children get to experience it. That's right. Mm -hmm. It's another wonderful answer. It just, it reminds me, just think of, of collective growth because I often, I think of, you know, using a, a trivial, use a read aloud, but then it's just, it's a read and it's just, oh, let's make a connection. And, it, and it, it doesn't have that value. But when you're gifted a framework that allows you to really go through and dissect, whether it's a picture book or some Marvin Gaye song, you like, there's so many spaces to go and it leads to so much greater learning. And then as you, as you sort of said, Goldie, it comes back to me and then it sort of, it reinvigorates me as the sort of, the, not me, me as in you, as the content creator is that all of a sudden is it, Pap, you and I have talked about this journey of being a consumer of someone's content, and then you interact with someone's content, and then you produce your own content, and then all of a sudden it recycles. And so it, it comes back, I guess, goalie, a little bit to what you and Pap were talking about that earlier when you talk about that journey of self. I think with this framework, you've created a space that allows us all to grow. And then I think we hope that it, there's some reciprocity that is you see everyone using it. It inspires you, and, and and I know that that has certainly been great for me. I want to come, again, my annotated notes, and Pav, I know it's not directly related to the question, but this is how middle school teacher Mr. Cheney works. Uh, it was celebrating genius, and I know we've talked about it a lot, and I know our board has really tapped into that, Goldie, that, that I, I, I don't know if the board, Pav, correct me if I'm wrong, I don't know if the board has explicitly stated it is the influence, but every time the board highlights our mission of joy and cultivating, they don't say cultivating, geez, honoring and celebrating. So I always think of you, Goldie, and I say, this is Goldie Muhammad. She's influ influenced, and the TDSB is no small board. It's the third biggest board in North America. This, like, so I always think of you every time the board re-reminds re us of what their mission statement is. And I want to go on a little bit of an anecdote because I'll position myself. I'm a white male and I teach in a racialized community and I'm committed to social justice work, but I don't claim to have it right. And I don't claim to know it. And I think, Pav, you know, in our discussions, people, there's like this fine, people get lost in the minutia of, can I act if I don't know what I'm doing? Or if I feel unconfident with what I'm doing? And you try to coach people through and coaching people through is also about coaching yourself through. And, and you talked about this when we're all open about our ability to be questioned. And you talked about that example, Pau. I said, as a white male, I better let myself be questioned with a race with, I guess in any community, but I can only speak to the, the teaching experiences I've had. And so for me as a white male in a completely racialized community, I can't just say I'm a social justice advocate, but don't question me. In fact, I made my journey very public that I, I want to be your ally. I want to be your advocate. I want to know when I need to take the, the step forward. I, know, I want to know when I want to be beside. I want to know when I have to be behind. And I'm committed to my own learning, but I really want you to to call me out, call me in with love when you think that, that I haven't done it right. And I think that comes down to your point at the beginning is that the ability to be questioned is really, it's, it's, it's a relationship piece. You're not questioning me to burn me. I want you to question me to guide yeah. me. And have you yeah. talked about this a lot as well as through love, through love, through love, everyone gets fixated on calling in or calling out, but what is your intent? If, you, if you're doing it with love and then, and, and I connect that back to joy, there's that value. And so I sort of think of how do teachers manifest this work? You have yeah. to be committed to the work. You have to know you're going to get pieces wrong, but you can't just say, I'm not doing the work because I'm afraid I might get something wrong. But you yeah. need to be very open that you're on this active journey of learning. And Goldie, you talked about this earlier. A lot of this framework 
it didn't come as a predetermined decision on making a framework. It came through your learning, through your growth. And I yeah. think as a teacher on a, on a micro level, my learning comes the same way, comes through this public space of, uh, of growth. And so I would document, here's some evidence. Sorry, Pav, I know you're giving me eye roll. You're like, this isn't your show. Goldie's here today. Um, that I think of my earlier, and maybe people could use this as a bit of an example because I have taught 21 years. And, and earlier on in my commitment to social justice, I didn't celebrate genius. I spoke too much of history through the deficit lens, speaking, mm -hmm. talking about the slave trade as my entry point. And I thought early on that I was doing the work because I was bringing up these valuable stories. Yeah. But, through, through your work, Goldie, I realized, wait a second, I'm actually, I'm, I'm talking too much in the deficit. I'm not celebrating genius. I'm not cultivating uh, uh, any joy here. I'm getting trapped in these negative stories and, and in, in reality, just cementing further the oppression in our society. And so I thought of when you talked about celebrating genius as one of those things as a teacher, that was a real shift for me. Put everything in that asset-based source. Let's celebrate the genius that's going on. And then I started to look at my students as there's a genius there. And if I don't see it, it's because I don't see it. It's not because it's not yeah, there. Exactly. And then as an extension, I started to look at my peers and my coworkers and the administration around me different. I said, how, how am I celebrating the genius of the teacher beside me? And if I not, and if I haven't been, then I've been erasing their genius by not acknowledging their genius. And so mm -hmm. I think of that component as just fold in the classroom, but also how I manifest in my space. And as a white male, that's really important to really honor that and celebrate that as best I can. Mm. Now, through that, Pav, if you want, you can cut that out when you edit. But <laughs> <laughs> uh, we often link joy with hope. Yeah. Hope falls in the spectrum with joy. Do you think they go hand in hand? How can teachers foster joy in their learning spaces when hope sometimes seems to wane in what they see all around them in teachers, students, government, society? Hope and joy, how do we fuse yeah. together? Or should they be fused together? Yeah, absolutely they should. They go hand in hand. I mean, joy is what we fight for in our lives. And if we think about ways of uh, teaching and deficit ways of like Black history, how we start with slavery, we don't even call it enslavement. We call the ancestors slaves. We don't even call them Africans. Mm -hmm. And then we start the history there and we end the history there. We don't start with who they were before being stolen. We don't talk about the genius, the joy, the hope that they carry, the inventions, like what they contributed. Like we just, and, and so we leave with that sort of despair deficit things about a group of people. And so when you think about Black folks, you might think of struggle and sadness. And, and that is, that history is true. We must teach the truth of that history, but we have to teach fullness. And so part of that fullness is Black joy and Black hope. We have never in all the slavery unit plans, and even in a suburb in Illinois, um, they taught a unit a couple months ago on picking cotton at this high school, same high school I went to. <laughs> and apparently uh, from parents, you know, um, there wasn't a lot of parents who weren't black that didn't speak out against it. This is not a black parent thing. This should be everybody thing. Right. But the problem with this is that they didn't talk about the trauma of this symbol of a cot of cotton. They didn't talk about enslavement. They, so sometimes folks think that, oh, I'll just neglect, you know, certain parts of history. 
And I, I'll talk about like even the deficit parts of history as a good thing, as a hopeful thing. You know, I just thought that would have been a great opportunity to teach the full context, but to teach about the hope and genius and joy of Blackness and Black people. As you're teaching about the oppression, they didn't teach the oppression, they just kind of left all of this out, right? But to go back to your question, there is a relationship between joy and hope. If joy is what we fight for, as, as, as our ancestors had to have this labor in these concentration camps and enslavement camps in cotton fields, we are fighting for our joy, all this advocacy and activism, that's what we fight for. And the hope is like the future, the tomorrow. That's me, right? That I'm like the hope of uh, my ancestors. And so it, it's a relationship. Um, so I, I think it falls as like um, a part of joy, but also kind of like what to look forward to um, in life. And, you know, we want children to have something to look forward to and to hope and to dream and all these things that are related to joy. And teachers can foster joy. Um and I get it. Like, how do you foster joy when, like, you don't feel very hopeful about our schools? I get this question a lot from teachers. Like, we have, we're actually going opposite in some ways with policy and legislation and all this, all this work around what you can't teach when it comes to Black justice and critical race theory and all these things. I had somebody call me this morning, a young scholar, crying because receiving threats on his life. Uh, from being on a list saying that he's teaching critical race theory and it's like all he wants to do is teach hope and joy (laughs) you know and so I asked myself this question like how can I show up with joy and when I see these expanded notions of joy that I define I can show up with joy because joy is about the solutions joy is about anti-oppression abolition healing wellness so sometimes not showing up maybe joy (laughs) maybe resting you know we have to, like the new book tells us, rest is resistance. Yes. That's joy. Yeah. So sometimes joy is not showing up and doing the work, letting other folks to pick up and then I'm resting and I'll pick it up again, you know? And so it's hard. I'm not going to like, you know, romanticize, like, you know, when you don't see any changes, how do you still have joy? When, when teachers are being pushed out of the field, how can you have joy? You know, um, it's difficult, but I would say that we have to remember who we are. We have to remember our ancestors and remember, remember, remember. I love that word. And Cynthia Dillard, she puts the R-E in parentheses and re and remember to go back and back again. That's what fosters the joy and keep you going. And, um, and and you know, it's also... Um, seeing what happens, right? When I see teachers work in 10 minutes and create some of those units I told you about, okay, I can keep going because something's working, right? When I see the look on children's faces that I teach every summer and I see like the impact this work is having, okay, that, that keeps my joy, even in the face. So there's a lot of folks fighting against this, but it's a lot of us who are doing joyful work in our schools, So absolutely, it reminds me to just keep going, keep going and use our history, right, to (laughs) as we move forward, we're actually using our history going back to move forward, right? That's what this work is always, it's all been about. 
Yeah. And that's so perfectly said, you know, using the history to, to move forward. That was something that stood out to me, uh, very much when, when reading the book and it was a, it was a message that was throughout the book. We keep looking Mm -hmm. back to move forward Mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. we have to, because the solutions are all there. It's all in our history and we just need to tap into that. Uh, to get to those places of of justice, you know, as you as you said earlier, uh, we can't experience the joy without the justice, and and it's uh, something that we have to keep fighting for. Um, to just today, there was a teacher who was outlining uh, some of the work that she had done, and she had taken some of the work she's done uh, using one of Jacqueline Woodson's novels, Locomotion, um, mm-hmm. uh, to to create. Uh, a lesson plan or a unit plan using, using the framework. And, um, and she, you know, she kind of, she went through it. It was brilliant. It was beautiful. She was sharing with the rest of the group. And then, and then she, she got stuck with, I'm struggling with the joy. And, you know, and, and I said, yes, because so many of us do Mm -hmm. struggle with the joy Mm -hmm. piece, thinking that the students are not going to experience joy with this, Mm -hmm. but, if I'm experienced joy, just hearing you talk about it, mm. and those students get to the critical, get to the criticality or get through the skills mm-hmm. or get through the identity piece. And they've made those connections. They have achieved what you had, you know, set out to have them achieve. There is going to be joy in that because they've done it. And yeah. if they've done it, they're going to want to do it again. Mm-hmm. And that's what joy gives us. It gives mm-hmm. us the mm-hmm. opportunity to repeat yes. and to keep going and keep moving forward because it worked. It worked yeah. when I did it. And so why wouldn't I keep doing it again yeah. and again and again? Yeah. And Absolutely. so um, you use the term remember and, you know, the re to keep repeating. Um, and, and I was thinking of the same thing. Like we, we keep doing it and that's, what's going to create that progress. That's how we're going to get to the justice. Um, and that's how we're going to get there. So, um, thank you so much for sharing that and, and for sharing everything so far that you have been talking to us about, um, so many questions that we have had that, you know, we just don't get the, the privilege. Not everybody that reads your book gets the privilege that we have right now is to be able to speak to you. And we're so looking forward to sharing this, not with just our regular audience, but our colleagues and the teachers that we work with um, Mm -hmm. to hear your perspectives one-on-one. Some of these questions that often come come out through our through our own conversations. Um, I wanted to touch on something a little lighter, uh, but something that I've been actually wondering quite a bit about. How did you get Pharrell? (laughs) (laughs) I want to know Pharrell and, and how did that collaboration come to be? You know, uh, Pharrell wrote the foreword to the new book, um, Unearthing Joy. And if you could please hold it up for us, uh, Goldie, because um, we don't have our copy yet as it hasn't been released yet in Canada. And um, even though I've pre-ordered it and I was really hoping it would be delivered today. Uh, I can't but, even show the screen, yeah. the text message. Oh, yes. there we go. There Stop and look at that. So beautiful. Uh, but yeah, so it, how did that, that collaboration with Pharrell come to be? And, and what was sort of, you know, the genius of his that you wanted to celebrate through writing the foreword of the book? You know, um, Pharrell and I came together much like you, the three of us came together. It was supposed to be. 
and it happened. <laughs> Sometimes we have to look at life like that. Um, but I was working with, you know, I was doing the work of cultivating genius and it started to spread, you know, the work within it, the book started to spread and the cultivating genius got into Pharrell's um, hands through um, educators, particularly some educators who were working with him in his school. So Pharrell has a school in Virginia Beach, his hometown called Yellow Hab. It's an incredible, beautiful school. Um, thinking about um, Pharrell's philosophy about humanity, about cosmos, it's like a school being developed with these creative sensibilities of students, their their genius, all these different things that he wanted to put together. And he's very intentional about calling the school yellow. I mean, his organization's called yellow because he talks about it as a beautiful space. It's not too slow. It's not too fast. It represents a beautiful, vibrant, joyful color. So when we finally, he asked to meet me um, because I started training his um, teachers at the school. And I taught him, I told him, like, I taught him the model and what this work is all about. Um, he probably heard my passion about schools. And um, it was something that really struck him. And we, we were able to collaborate on other projects um, with, like, Ad Color and Google. And, um, you know, I started to write, think about writing Unearthing Joy um, last year. And... I'm like, this is a long shot, but I have to shoot my shot, right? I have to, because all people can do is say no. I can't even imagine how busy he is. I know how busy I am. And, you know, that's a whole different level of something, of busy. <laughs> and so I I contacted him and I asked him. And within a day, he said, yes, absolutely. And um, so we finally met this past October in person. We've been on Zoom because all this is during, you know, the pandemic. And he wrote such a beautiful foreword. And when you talk to him, it, it's almost like um, he has been studying education and philosophy. Because <laughs> I'm like, you sound like a scholar of education um, when he talks. And you can tell his mother, um, who is deeply rooted in education, knows education studies, you know. So you could tell he comes from a people of, of scholars, you know, in that way. But he writes in the book, in the foreword, joy for me is uninhibited, undistracted, euphoric. It means living free to define yourself and realizing your personal and professional dreams. So the way he said the very first words of his foreword is what is joy? And the reason why I asked him, because I wanted this book to feel different. Um, I wanted this book to be an experience of joy as you're reading it. So I, I talk about teachers as artists, as mm. people who create something beautiful in the world. I talk about curriculum as art, curriculum as the world, curriculum as legacy building, right? And I include, um, I, I listen to music when I write. And as I was writing this introduction, I started crying. I'm crying. I'm listening to this music. I'm writing. I'm crying. It's like all these emotions. And I said, well, what happens if I put a playlist? So there's QR codes of playlists um, that as readers are reading this book, they softly listen to these uh, lyrics and these songs in the background that have connections to the content of that chapter. So there's like these different layers of meaning through art, right? 
And then, of course, we took steps further and we said, what about if it was layered with poetry, with artwork, with <laughs> coloring book pages? Um, so, like, at the end of each chapter, right, there, there's, like, there's spaces to color. Because why not? You know, we need all the joy. So it's supposed to be, like, this embodiment for joy. And so, for me, it was perfect to add an art, to ask an artist to open the book. So I'm grateful that he said yes. That That's a beautiful story. And I, I love I, that the book models the pursuit of joy, the idea of the playlist, the poetry, the coloring. I, I, I said, brilliant, <laughs> Pav, you and I both jotted down playlists yes. instantly on that. <laughs> and I know when this interview's over, you're only going to be further enraged that your book didn't show up in the in the mail today. Goldie, I, you know, we know how we text or we know how people that we know really well text. And so Pav, when she texts, long message, well thought out, not that these messages weren't well thought out, but it was, it's all in one big, huge bubble. I started to get a series of ding, 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 ding. Cause it's like, my book's not here. It's supposed to be here. It's not here. I'm checking the receipt. And it was just new message after new message after new message. I said, Pav is so wants this book right now that she can't formulate a full response. And I know when you saw that book right now, I'm thinking you're only going to be more upset that you do not have this book I really in your wish. possession yet. I am excited for the book so excited for the playlist because you know you and i often will play a record to, to get ready for a podcast episode so we'll drop troubled man by marvin gay as one of our go-tos and it's just like you realize that these small connections and so every time trouble man comes on it's a connection to the content and right. so i just i i can't wait to see the playlist <laughs> to go with the content because so much of us you know it's the music that connects and I could go on a music rant because, Pav, you know, we talked this about this story. Because when you talk about music, what do you connect with? And, and Goldie, maybe you've heard this because we, Pav and I also both enjoy Seal. And we were listening to Seal and you're trying to make out the lyrics. But Seal, in his artistry, doesn't put the lyrics of his songs in his albums back when they came in albums and CDs, oh, Pav. I know you're too young for that. But I said Seal wouldn't. And he gave the, the, the explanation was that it's an artistic journey and you've heard what you needed to hear and what you wanted to hear. And I didn't want it to be spoiled if you came and read the lyric and it wasn't what you thought it was. And I thought of that, that whole artistry of putting things together. And I made that connection of seal not putting the lyrics with you and creating this artistry in their book i want people to to see and get things from the book so that's just my yeah. quick anecdote as i wrap into my questions and goldie you've learned really quickly that all my stories before the questions often aren't related but i try to, pull, I try to hold them back together at the end we want to thank you for gifting your time these insights like pav and i goosebumps nervous and uh, pav i'll tell pav gets nervous all the time but i'll tell you i never get nervous and i am right. sweating sweating i'm so nervous but i've so enjoyed this conversation i've taken away so many nuggets pav and i i think both want to thank you for gifting your time uh, for us, two teachers here in Canada that are just in total awe of the work you do and are really thankful that your work has made us better teachers and better servant leaders. And I guess, not I guess, guess isn't great vernacular. Not that you, there's anything else new, but I know we like to end our interviews with you. Tell us what's coming up, what's new, what's going to complement this book. Are you going on some speaking gigs? Are you going to come up to Toronto? Because if you're coming to Toronto, Pav and I know a great restaurant and we owe you a dinner. Oh, I, listen, that sounds incredible. You know, when I when I think about that question, like what's next, you know, the first thing that came to my mind was rest. Mm. <laughs> I've been going in these last three years, but I am going to, you know, I hope to do somewhat of a, 
a book tour and speak about the book. Um, my husband, who's an artist who helped to inspire the book and the artistry of it. He's an artist. Some of his music is in the book. Um, we thought about doing like a, I mean, this is just thoughts, right? Y'all are just hearing this for the first time out of like my mind. But we we both thought about like, where I talk about the book and he engages in music and we do like this really mm. cool, collaborative, funky um, teacher, educator experience. Um, so, you know, we're working on creating just beautiful, not your regular book tour, but something mm. that is vibrant and engaging and artistic and beautiful. Um, I'm sure Pharrell and I might be able to speak together again about the book. Um, he, he saw the book for the first time, the cover with everything in October and he loved it. I mean, he loved it too because it happens to be yellow. <laughs> I'm sure yeah. that was a nice touch. Um, so yeah, and you know, in terms of other work, you know, I'm always working curriculum. Mm -hmm. I'm always, I want teachers to have a curriculum in their hands with these five pursuits already made and ready to go where they wouldn't have to write and adapt and revise so much. So that's my dream project. I get to do it, you know, in small waves here and there, but I would love to follow a book like this because this follows Cultivating Genius very nicely. This is like the how-to guide of what mm. Cultivating Genius is with that added pursuit of joy. And to me, what, what would feel like a nice neck something is a curriculum project. So inshallah, we'll see. <laughs> beautiful, beautiful. Thank you for sharing. And we, we hope, of course, that all of those things come to fruition. Uh, if you are going to be doing that artistic book tour, uh, I want front row seats because that's <laughs> fantastic. Um, you know, so that, that's beautiful. And, and we're very excited for everything that you put out and, uh, and, and whatever comes next. And you've hyped up the book so much now that I'm not going to be able to sleep wondering when I'm I going to get you wouldn't. that email, uh, that it's on the way. Um, I'll probably take off a day from work to, to wait for it. <laughs> yes. We'll look forward to Thank you so much, Goldie. We are so, so honored uh, that you took some time out to speak with us today. It's been a beautiful conversation. Uh, we're happy. We're very excited to listen to it back uh, and, and pick out more nuggets uh, to talk about. There's so many things that I wanted to follow up with, but I, we also want to be very respectful of your time. So when we have that part two of this conversation. <laughs> good, good. That was clever. <laughs> we will continue to follow up. So. Yes. Once again, thank you so much for joining us. And, uh, and we hope to speak to you again very soon. Thank you. I hope that too. Get your, get your hands up. You're listening to The Chain Pav Show. And that was one fantastic interview. Uh, yes, it was. An hour of wisdoms, an hour of gems, an hour of laughter, talking all things education, deep social justice work, connecting via uh, the stories of using, uh, to have one of your favorite lessons, the power of what's in a name and mm -hmm. learning people's names and the stories that go behind it. Uh, fantastic conversation. I know I am excited to check out the playlists. Yes, me too. I'm, I'm actually very excited to, to just go flip through the book and see all the different pieces that, um, that relate to joy 
from unearthing joy and and so the coloring pages and the playlists and all of the the fun things that i'm sure are in there uh which i wish i knew uh if i had the book i would know but i do not as of yet so once so i do uh it'll be fun even from the beginning of recording the pre to the post it still has not arrived no it hasn't it hasn't <laughs> so he's like outside the window waiting for an amazon delivery i'm like it's not even an amazon it's delivery it's not even coming from amazon <laughs> You're just hopeful, exceptionally hopeful. <laughs> I just hope Amazon comes and drops it off. Um, but yes, I'm very, very excited. And the interview was phenomenal. Um, you know, Goldie talking about the the four pursuits uh, from Cultivating Genius and then the addition of the fifth pursuit of joy and where that came from and what it stemmed from and why it was included. Uh, and, and then, you know, talking about the history, going back into our past in order to change the future. Um, and, and taking a look at the, the historical black literary societies and their impact on education and why we need to be looking at those impacts in order to inform our present and our future. So um, I took away some real big nuggets uh, and also the inclusion of Pharrell as, uh, you know, the, the person who wrote the foreword for the book for the book it is very exciting and i'm very um i'm anticipating taking a look at that and reading the forward as well so uh, i know that i've got some great nuggets in there it'll be definitely an episode that i go back and listen to again for my own learning and for my own self uh and so hopefully listeners have taken away some some gems as well it sounds to me like you just did a swag bag that was, yeah, that was the, the Pav swag bag, I guess. Which is starting new things. And to go along with the new things, this episode is available in its entire, well, not its entirety. The entire interview is also available on uh, YouTube. Yeah. So you can see all the bright smiles and all the sweat that was rolling down my forehead. <laughs> there wasn't that much. It was glistening. Yeah, it was, the lighting was good. So we're diving <laughs> into that space just to... Uh, to dive into that space just to dive into that space that's right it's late late on a monday evening everybody <laughs> it is late on a we usually record via the weekends there's usually there's a different energy but uh this week yeah you know life has got us recording on the monday nights maybe a little uh you know, I just I'm slowing it down because you you needed me to slow it down. Like, I guess so. <laughs> <laughs> Let me set a little bit of a swag bag music to mm -hmm. get us out here on this episode with Dr. Goldie Mohammed. You know, swag bag number one. Get yourself unearthed joy, unearthing joy. Mm -hmm. Yes, do. Two, get cultivating genius. Mm -hmm. Three, three, Pav, uh, beyond the, the obvious first two. For me, one of those takeaways is making sure when we're studying histories, we really immerse ourselves in how different cultures taught their histories, taught their lessons, had their own framework for learning. This was new learning for me is that even earlier on, as I identified in the interview, going back to teach different histories, I would still teach it through the same framework for understanding history. And, and that was a real valuable uh, point for me. And so I hope you've enjoyed the interview. Hey, rate, review, subscribe, tell a friend, go knock on the neighbor's door right now, even if they're in teaching or not, and say, hey, this is the space. Yes, absolutely. Thank you, everybody, for joining us. And thank you for listening into episode 121, A Conversation with Dr. Goldie Muhammad. And you've been listening to The Che and Pav Show, better known as The New Kids on the Block. Oh, the right well, stuff. Well, maybe that was about four years ago. Eh? I don't know if we're still doing <laughs> anymore. Maybe not. We're like the old vets, savvy. <laughs> but you don't have gray hair. That's just me. Oh. <laughs> <laughs>